Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. As we have been exploring this summer these topics that come up from outside of the church and in today's case from within, we have been exploring what it means to have unrealistic expectations placed upon us as Christians. And today's is the notion that Christians are better than non-Christians. And this comes out of a tradition of evangelism, surprisingly, the desire to make it appealing for people to become Christians. And sometimes for those of us that were raised in the church, it's hard for us to conceptualize why you wouldn't want to be a Christian. Why would you want to be one of those people who does evil? Why would you want to be someone who's not in right relationship with God? Why would you want to be outside of the blessings of God in the church? Why would you not want these things? And yet, as we have tried to portray to people what it means to be a Christian, sometimes through no intention of our own, we've created a hierarchy which seems to stipulate that Christians are better than those people that are not Christians. That we who are here in the body of Christ are better than those that are missing from our communion. And this is a great detriment to us as Christians because it is the opportunity for us to prop ourselves up and become rather prideful that we are Christians. But we are called to be a people of great humility. All of the scripture that we have heard thus far, both our call to worship from Romans, our psalm this morning, and the scripture from 2 Corinthians, emphasize our weakness. Talk about the fact that we are not perfect. Sometimes it's not even that we are privileged, but that we are a people of brokenness. and That we have recognized that our brokenness necessitates God to help us to overcome obstacles both internal in our minds and in our hearts, in our bodies, and external in our relationships in the world and our brokenness that manifests sin and evil, that we are a people that need God. And God says this in the scriptures, that our weakness is an opportunity for God to show God's strength and God's mercy, God's goodness to us and through us. We often look out in the world and go, well, there are so many people that would be so much better off if they were Christians. Absolutely. But it's not because we are better than them, but because we have come to recognize what Paul is talking about to the Corinthians in his letter, that we are a people that God has known from the very beginning. While we were still in the womb, God knew us. God has known us from our first breath. God has known us all of our days up until today, knows us today, and will know us all the days into the future. And God has loved us through it all, unequivocally, undeniably loved us. When we were broken, when we were disobedient, when we have been mistakenly on the wrong path, when we have wavered from the path that Jesus Christ lays before us, God still loves us. That never changes. And God doesn't look at us and go, oh, you're Christians now. You're so much better. God looks at us and says, I loved you before you came to know Jesus Christ. I love you now that you know Jesus Christ. And I will love you until Christ returns and you see him for yourself. And God says, 
to us that we are a people that have the opportunity to be better than we are, not better than each other, better than who we were yesterday. That every day, God's grace, love, forgiveness, and hope can make us better tomorrow than we were today. God is perfecting us in love, as Methodism has been so fond of saying for hundreds of years now, that God is perfecting us through the love, not only conveyed in the Holy Spirit, that recognizes our weaknesses. As Romans said, it bridges the gap. When we don't know what to pray, when we don't know what to do, the Holy Spirit helps to get us where we need to be. It doesn't help us to get over somebody else. At children's time at the 9.30 worship, I had um, a nice little gaggle of boys up here, and I had these cards, and the cards all had different categories on them. And I said, I have a puzzle, and I want you to help me put these cards in the order from the best to the worst. All right? Cards such as God. And they were like, oh, that's best. Okay. So we put God over here. Babies. Ooh, that's kind of bad. This is kids. All right? Pastors. They said we were tied with God. It's a whole other sermon. Adults. Worst. Children. Tied with God. Teachers. In the middle. And so they had created this hierarchy. And I could probably write a dissertation on just that alone, how adults were at the bottom with the babies and the kids were up with God. Just the idea that there had to be somebody below them, right? There had to be somebody below them. And teachers can go either way. They can go either way. And what we ended up talking about was that really Jesus says that we are all together. And that the only one over us is God. That we are all equal. No matter our age, our circumstance, our race, our ethnicity, our gender. That we are all equal. We are all equally broken. But we are all equally strengthened because of the Holy Spirit. And they recognized that God does want us to be in right relationship with others. The children recognize that God doesn't want us to have people who are worse. <laughs> that God instead wants us to all grow and become better. But the fact that they were willing to put us adults at the bottom says that we have work to do, that we need to be showing them that we truly can be good, that we can do things selflessly and we can help other people. They need to have hope that when they become an adult, they don't sink to the bottom, but that there's a place for all of us, no matter where we find ourselves in the spectrum that God actually uplifts the lowly. And those of us that need a little humility and a reality check get brought back down on par. Because that's the struggle. That's the struggle for the Christian to remain humble. And Jesus says this over and over again. The scriptures are permeated with this truth. And if we pay careful attention to the narratives, we will find that time and time again, what the Apostle Paul is saying to the Corinthians is true. That we are not perfect. We're not perfect. Just because you become a Christian doesn't make you perfect. Paul proclaimed that. He said, look, I know what the experience that I had. I got to meet the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. 
He called me into service. I know that. I had those revelations, those incredible experiences. Those were mine. But that's not what makes me good. What makes me good is that even in spite of myself and whatever thorn is in his flesh, whatever is wrong with him, whether he's being imprisoned or he's suffering physically or mentally, whatever is wrong with the Apostle Paul, it's an opportunity for God's strength to shine. And he gives God that glory. If I can do anything, it is only because God is able to take this and do something with it, says the Apostle Paul. And he encourages the people of the Corinth uh, to have that same humility because the Corinthians were used to having designations and groupings and they were used to being a part of a people as a subset within the larger city of Corinth where they were privileged. If you were a part of this guild, you had these privileges. If you were a part of these people, then that was your privilege. And we have continued this in our culture here in America. We have social groups, we have social fraternities, we have sororities and fraternities and colleges. Even colleges try to engage potential students by telling them about what will happen when they go here. You'll get a superior education. More of our students go on to medical school. They have all kinds of ways in engaging people and trying to get them to come in by thinking they are better than the others. It is part of human nature to want to be better. We pervert it with our sinfulness when we want to be better than somebody else rather than just be better than who we were yesterday. God wants us to be the best that we can be, not that we can be the best over everybody else. And that's the struggle in the church is to realize that we all have something that we bring. The babies, the children, the adults, the vintage members, the teachers, the doctors, the mechanics, the cleaners, the cooks, the pastors. All of us bring something into the life of the body of Christ. This is not a new tale. If we go back to Exodus, we find that Moses confronts God and says, you can't send me to be a prophet. You can't send me to do this job of bringing your people out of bondage and slavery and suffering in Egypt because I have a speech impediment and I can't do the job. I am weak, I am broken, I am flawed, and you cannot send me. And God says, perfect, I will send your brother Aaron with you. And now the two of you can go and do this together. God sees opportunity where we see weakness. God sees a place for someone to step up and step in and shine when we think that we are deficient. Moses thought he was less than because he was verbally disabled. And God said, I can send Aaron with you, and now the two of you can speak twice as loud. He with his words, and you with your presence and your actions. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians. I want to be known by what you hear and see from me. Not just who I am, not my power and my privilege and my authority as apostle, I want you to hear me and to see what I do and to recognize that Christ is at work in me and through me. And if you want to honor anything, honor that. It's a glorious message. When we give glory to God for what we know we couldn't do alone. And there are any number of times in the life of the church where I will see someone has done something or is doing something and I'll say, I'm so glad you're doing it. That's not something that I am very good at or that I can do, but I am so glad that you are doing it. And sometimes they'll confess and they'll go, I am so tired and exhausted and I didn't want to do it. And the fact that I'm even here is because God is doing this. 
They will be honest about that. They will recognize the weakness in themselves and give glory to God for it. All of us have those moments where we do things and we have the opportunity, even if it's only in our own mind, to go, did God do that or did I do that? Did I do it because I'm so awesome? Or did God do it because God recognized that my heart wanted, yearned to be in service? This is what Jesus says to us. You will be servants of God most high and the greatest among you will be the slave. The greatest among you will humble yourselves and serve the servants. And that is the model that we have. Both um, of our orders of ordination in the United Methodist Church, both elders and deacons, are both called to service. We lead through our service and we serve through our leadership. Servant leaders are those who recognize that there's a time to stand out in front and there's a time to get in the back. There's a time to get down on your hands and knees and scrub. And there's a time to stand up and go, look at how beautiful this is. And we as disciples are completely equal in this. I already preached the sermon about how clergy aren't better than laity. It's time for us to recognize that we as Christians are not better than non-Christians. We just recognize the glory of what it means to be in right relationship with God, to grow in our love for one another to serve, to build the kingdom, to have this divine mantle placed upon our shoulders and have the opportunity to do things that we would never have the opportunity to do if it weren't for the movement of the Holy Spirit. God gives us opportunities as Christians, opportunities to grow as ourselves, opportunities to grow as a group, a small group of the body of Christ, the entire church, these are all opportunities and God lays them out before us and we can choose to go forward and try and attempt and to succeed. Or we can allow our fear to withhold us from those opportunities. That's what the psalm was talking about, that we cry out from our fear. We learn not to fear the world and to fear failure. Instead, we have a healthy fear of the Lord. And our healthy fear of the Lord keeps us focused on God and everything else becomes background noise as we march onward into the kingdom, taking every single person that we can, pulling some of them, ushering from behind, leading some forward, walking side by side with others, but intentionally cultivating the flock of God so that all people can go home to their maker and their creator. That's the plan. That's the duty. That's the role and the call. And when we allow ourselves to get puffed up and prideful, when we take a time to look at someone else and think, well, I'm not that bad. That's not what God is asking of us. God is asking of us to recognize our weaknesses and to allow God to fill in those cracks, the voids, that when there's a hole in us that God is able to overcome that. There are so many people who look at other Christians and go, I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could be like that. You're not supposed to be just like one another. We are supposed to be a multiplicity of God's gifts. If all of us had the same weakness, that's an easy fix. But we don't. We have different struggles. We have different sinful inclinations. We have different places where we feel weak or scared or deficient. And God, through the Holy Spirit, is able to help each and every one of us exactly as we need. There's a, there's a man in our church family here who repeatedly says to me, I wish I could have known you when you were in high school. No, you don't. 
He said, I just think it would be so interesting to see what you were like in high school. I said, whatever you're picturing, that wasn't it. It wasn't it. And he said, well, but you seem like you're so happy and you've got this confidence. I'm like, that wasn't high school. That was not high school. And what is true is that the person that I was in high school is truly who I am. It's still a piece of me. The person that didn't want to speak publicly, the person that didn't want people to look at her or notice her, the person that was afraid to be in front of crowds, the person that certainly didn't want to lead, that is still a person who I am. But when God calls you to do something, God equips you to do it. And God has made me capable of doing the job that I have to do. The service that God requires of me as an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. But here's the kicker. If I decided to walk away from this call, if I decided that there was something else that I wanted to do or something that I thought would be more lucrative and beneficial for my family, if I felt that I could no longer do this anymore and I walked away, the gifts would leave. I would lose this. I can't just replicate who I am for a Fortune 500 company. I can't just suddenly decide I want to be a congresswoman. God has given me the gifts that I have to do the work that God has placed before me. And when we decide, as crazy as it sounds, as, as fearful as we are, that we are going to do what God is asking of us as an individual Christian, then God gives us what we need to do it. And sometimes that gift is another person, like it was for Moses. Sometimes that gift is letting our weaknesses be open, honest, and authentic, and God's still overcoming those with the gifts of the Spirit. Sometimes that's God showing us, you can only see it this way. Step over here and I'll show you a different path. I will show you a path that is right for you. And that's what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. To be committed despite acknowledging our weaknesses, our flaws, our sins. And to recognize that there is a place for us. The Apostle Paul really revealed this in a letter that comes a little bit later than the Corinthian letters. It's almost at the end, right after 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. You'll find a small little letter that I actually sat down and read in about five minutes before the 930 worship service called Philemon. And in Philemon, who was a person, a Christian, the Apostle Paul writes to him and quite craftily sends it to everybody in Philemon's church so they would all know too. And says, when I have been imprisoned here, away from you, and I needed help as a prisoner because of, I've been persecuted for my faith and my ministry in Jesus Christ, you sent me your slave, Onesimus. You sent him to me because you wanted someone to help me. I needed help and you sent him and I am so grateful for you to send him to me. And he said, but something miraculous has happened. That in the midst of his service to me, he has become a part of my heart and he has become a Christian. And so I am now sending him back to you because I don't want to do anything without your consent and I don't want to force you to do anything. But I'm sending him back to you and I'm asking you that if you think that it is appropriate that you would set him free and that you would send him back to me so that once more my heart will be complete and once more we can enter into ministry together because I still have work to do, but I can't do it without him. And the letter ends. It's very short and it ends and we do not know. And we don't really like that kind of ambiguity in the scriptures, but there it is. 
But Paul could have written that letter and said, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. He appeared to me on the road to Damascus. He has sent me. I have been vetted by the other apostles in Jerusalem, and I stand firm. And by my power and my authority, you shall release Onesimus, and you shall give him to me. He could have said that. And frankly, Philemon probably would have done it. Especially when you send it to all of his friends, and they're like, well, why didn't you do that? But instead, Paul chose the path of humility. His letter is permeated with words of his weakness, his position, his lowly status as a prisoner. It's filled with acknowledgement that he cannot do it alone, that he needs help, and that miraculously, both through Philemon being willing to send Onesimus and Onesimus coming and doing what slaves do, that Paul has been blessed. And that God has done some kind of miraculous work through all of this. And the most beautiful piece is this one little line where Paul says, if you will return him to me, freed, then we will both be blessed. Because not only will I regain him in the service to Jesus Christ our Lord, but you will gain a brother in the kingdom to come. And it's because of that choice, the choice the overpath of authority and power and demanding, or the underpath, the slightly more rocky, less assured path of humility, we see one of the greatest disciples, one of the most epic and prolific apostles, taking the low road in order to come before Onesimus with gratitude and humility and practically beg for the liberation of another person. And that is the message that we get over and over in the scriptures, that when we choose to humble ourselves, God will raise us up. When we choose to take the last seat, as Jesus says, then it opens up space for someone to invite us to the best. And that, that's what God wants to do. God wants to invite all of us to have one of the best seats at the eternal table in heaven. And our job is to ensure that we are spreading that news, that there is a place at God's table for every person. People who think that they are unworthy, they think that they are too handicapped, disabled, that they are too sick mentally and physically, people who think that they are unwanted and unwarranted, people who think that they cannot be redeemed or forgiven, people who think that God's love is not for them, that no one could ever love them, much less people on earth right now. And yet because of our service, because of our humility, we preach louder than our words that there is a place for them. It took unparalleled humility for God to take human form and suffer and die on that cross. That is the model for us. And we as Christians are going to have to constantly check our egos and battle that desire to put ourselves just slightly over somebody else. Because that is going to kill the gospel. Earthly power, privilege, and hierarchy strangles the gospel. Nobody wants to believe that they are nothing until they become a Christian. What we discover is we have always been something. We just didn't realize it. 
We have always been known beings of sacred worth, created in the image of our God. We have always been loved. We have always been able to be forgiven. And God is always with us and for us. Not that God only does that once we choose to believe. That's a different theology. The theology in the United Methodist Church is all about grace. And we understand that grace moves, that there's movements of grace. And the first movement of grace is called provenient grace. It's when God comes to us first. It's when God chooses to open our eyes so that we can see that there is something wrong, that we do sin, that we do things that are in conflict with what God wills for us and wants for us. God gives us the gift of faith. Faith isn't something that we generate internally. It's not something that we take. It's not something that we happen to find laying around. It is something that God gives. And God has given us this faith. And God says, now go give it to somebody else. Give this gift to somebody else. Reminds me of all those times, especially around Christmas, you know, when somebody gives you like a box of chocolates or they give you something, like a big tray of cookies. And there's like this five-year-old girl inside of me that's like, I'm going to eat all of this myself. I'm going to go in my office. I'm going to shut that door. I'm going to pull those blinds. I'm going to eat all of this. And for a moment, I might be happy. But because I'm a Christian who has learned that the greatest thing is to bless and be a blessing, when I turn around and I offer others the opportunity to taste and to experience, watching them enjoy that gift is even better than me enjoying it myself. And that's when God hammers home to me. And I hope God hammers home to all of us that the best thing in life is sharing the blessing is sharing it, whether it's the truth that we are known and loved, whether it's the truth that all of us can be forgiven and perfected by God's love, whether it's the truth that there is a place for every single person, or whether it's the harder truth that all of us are no better than those of us who are not here, but instead that because God loves each and every one of us, God is willing to make you the best Christian you can be, and you the best Christian you can be, and me the best Christian that I can be. Because sin is in the church. It's in the pews, it's in the pulpit, it's in the bathrooms, it's in the fellowship hall. It's here. But when we choose to humble ourselves and still serve, we discover that there is no sin greater than God's grace and love. And that's what we have to speak. That's what we have to do. That's what we have to be a people who recognize that God's grace and love is greater than our sin. May that be so, so that others will discover this rich treasure trove of the gospel truth for themselves. And that when we all, like Onesimus and the Apostle Paul and Philemon, enter into the kingdom to come and take our seat at a table without end to celebrate for all time, the glory of God's truth, that there will be a person for every seat, that more and more people will take their rightful place, and that we will have an eternity to listen to the impact that our faith has had. We don't know what happened to Philemon. We don't know what happened to Anismus. We do know what happened to Paul. And we know that they could not have imagined that we would be here today, almost 
2,000 years later, that we would be a body of Christ here in a building like this in Crozet, Virginia, in the United States of America. Unfathomable to them. They could never have imagined that their little daily Christian struggles and their journey in discipleship would yield this. They could never have fathomed that. And we as Christians will struggle and go, well, does it really matter? Am I making a difference? And the answer is yes. You may not see it now. If you hang around for a decade, you might see signs of it. But God says, I'm going to sit you down at a table and I'm going to serve you a banquet, the likes of which you have never seen, and we will share the stories and celebrate. And here, what happened? Can you imagine what our faith here in Crozet will manifest 2,000 years from now? Of course not. But God wants to tell us that story. And that's on the agenda and the menu in the kingdom to come. Thanks be to God for that hope. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.